said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place to which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand a fire and a knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up, lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was the ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and I have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And by your offspring shall possess the gate of the enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Okay. You can see why uh, this particular passage stands out. What, why does this one stand out of all the Abraham stories? Because he's killing his son. And how is that? Why is that? What's going on here, right? Um, we also have, remember, what has been the, the focal point for all of God's dealings with Abraham? I guess there's two foci, that's the plural of focus. There are two focal points of the promise. What is it? Making him into a great nation, which means what do you need to have a great nation? Offspring and time. And the other thing you need is land. So Abraham's, all of the promises for Abraham, some way or other, deal with the land and the sun. The land and the, what's the Bible's word for the son here? The seed or the offspring is the way that, I think the King James, you know, God's Bible, the authorized version, um, the King James is the seed, uh, which is nice. I kind of like that because Jesus talked a lot about seeds, okay, and, and that can kind of connect things up for us. But the, the translation is not wrong to say the offspring, okay? So the focus here, the land is part of it. You heard of uh, kind of a repetition of the promises at the end. And the land comes in there. But the real focus is on 
the sun, right? Um, which makes sense. If you think back to where does man come from, what was Adam made out of? Dirt. He was a dirt ball, right? And then God breathed into him. So land and sun, they, they go together. If you've got the sun, he, in some sense, is tied to the land. We're all a bunch of dirt balls, okay? Um, but we're God's dirt balls, so it's not so bad. Um, and the Spirit is forming something better in us. He's making us into something better than dirt. Uh, but the focus is on the sun. And uh, I have a map for you here. I don't have my laser pointer, but um, this was the map we looked at back when we were talking about the fall of, uh, what's that terrible city? Sodom. Uh, so Abraham is living at this point in time. Uh, he's, it's not shown on the map. Where is he living at the beginning of the story, the beginning of chapter 22? How would you figure out where he's living at the beginning of chapter 22? You'd look at the end of 21. And when you look at the end of 21, where, where is he living? Beersheba. And where the Philistines are, right? Which is kind of, if you have a map in your mind, the Mediterranean Sea, here's Israel, here's Egypt, and the Philistines are in between. So he's, he's not really in the land, he's in Philistine territory, and the Philistines are like cousins of the Egyptians. They count as Egyptians. Okay, so he's down in Egypt. But he's in this little oasis. What did we learn about Beersheba last week? There's a well there, right? Anytime we hear about beer in the Bible, we should think of a well, the spring of water. A beer in Hebrew is a well. And what did he plant by the, by the beer, Sheba? A tamarisk tree. And for some reason, Jason is still working on it. He's typing up a paper for us. Um, for some reason, the Bible wants you to know this wasn't just any old tree. This was a tamarisk tree. What do you got for us, Jason? Oh, I'm ready for my dissertation. Okay, he's working. We're, he's got to learn Hebrew first. Yeah. He won't understand it at all until it's he learns Hebrew. It's tree, and it lives 100 years. That's okay, so it's a, it's a big tree. It's evergreen, apparently. Something about the roots is... The roots go deep to find the water. Okay. Uh, there's some mention of possibly cleansing the soil, so maybe there's something there. I still think Abraham just ran out of hope. This was the seed that he had. Okay, but in any case, he—it's an oasis. That's what the—it's like Eden. It's a little slice of Eden now in Philistine territory. Okay, but God says we got to move on, Abraham. You can't stay here. We got—we got something bigger and better in mind. And in order to get to the bigger and better things, he's got to go through what the Bible calls a test. Right? Look at verse one. The Lord tested Abraham. Now, let's just think a little bit here. God tested Abraham and said, why didn't he, he uh, do this, you know, well, maybe I, let me back up. How much time has passed in the, the amount, in like, how many years have gone by since God introduced himself to Abraham? When, how old was Abraham when God called him originally? Remember? 75. Okay, so Abraham is called. There's still time for some of you. Called at 75. How old is he when his son Isaac is born? 
Isaac is born at 100. Okay? So how long has Abraham known the Lord? 25 years. Long time or short time? It's, I don't know, it's, uh, you know, you're a grown-up by the time you're 25, right? I think my mom used to tell me, David, your you're prefrontal, your, what's it called? Prefrontal, prefrontal cortex. cortex. It's not developed until you're 26. So that was her way of always saying, whatever ideas you have, they're not good ideas. <laughs> Wait until you're older, okay? Um, now, that has nothing to do with, with this. The Bible's not interested in your prefrontal cortex here. But it is worth noting, God doesn't start this way, right? God does not start with Abraham and say, I'm going to give you a son tomorrow, and I want you to immediately offer him as a sacrifice to me. Why doesn't God, why wait 25 years to test Abraham? What's God been doing? Educating him, okay? And even a better word than education Because when we think of education, we just think of a classroom and instruction and teaching like that. What's another way we can talk about education that takes into account the person's whole character? Sanctifying. She's been sanctifying him. He's been forming him, right? There's been this process of formation. God doesn't just pluck Abraham out of the nations and say, okay, now, I just called you yesterday, but I'm going to command you to do this Kind of wild thing today. And let's think about that process of formation a little bit. What has Abraham learned about the Lord in these... It's been at least 25 years. Okay. Yeah, okay, so... Let's... let's. How old... Yeah, this is a great point to make, and I was going to make it later, but let's do it right now. Jerry's noticing there's details about Isaac that indicate he's not a toddler. What are those details, Jerry? Yep. So he's strong enough to carry the wood, which is going to be a lot of wood, right? So this is not just, you know, my kids helping me split wood and then carrying a twig. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice, and he's reasoning with Abraham. Hey, Dad, you know, I see you've got a knife in your hand, and I notice you have a torch. But, you know, I'm not the brightest chap in the world. Uh, Ishmael got the brunt of the brains, but we're missing something. Something kind of important. Where is the sacrifice? Okay, so he's reasoning. He's talking with with Abraham. Let's give him at least, how old do you want to make him here? Okay, let's make him, well, Paul said 17, and that's as good as 12. 12 and 17 are the same age. Okay, um, it's the same number. So he's, he's, uh, he's a man. He's, he's a, he's a grown-up. If he wanted to, now Abraham's an old man, right? So this is a good thing that the, the Jews, and the Christians too for that matter, but if, if Isaac wanted to, he probably could have ran away, which is amazing that he didn't. Abraham is not a spring chicken. Abraham is not... You know, a nimble young man at this point. Isaac is. And somehow, Abraham binds him up. Now, we're not told exactly what happened. The dialogue is silent there. The Bible's silent. But you can imagine that scenario. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, Or, okay, Father, I trust you. 
Right? It's, it's an amazing, this is part of the drama of the thing, is what the details that are mentioned and the details that aren't mentioned is part of what, what makes this very dramatic. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it was a long journey, right? It's uh, he rides his donkey for a couple of days, and then he tells the men, "Okay, the boy and I are going to go over there, and then we'll be back in three days." So it was into the woods, right? This is a man-making kind of a uh, ceremony. Go out into the woods. If you can come back on Monday, you can be a man. Do we have anything like that for our kids anymore? Did any of you go through any sort of rites of initiation where you had to go live in the woods like the Indians used to? Caleb, did you? Boy Scouts. Did they make you spend the night on your, on your own, Jim? And you made it. You made it. Did he come back dressed in a, like, deer skin and with hair on his chest? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, so there's been, now let's add up our numbers here, 25 plus 17, 42 if he was 17. There's been about 40 years. Okay? Think about what Abraham has learned in that 40 years. How has God formed him? What kind of things has he experienced? He's learned to trust in the Lord. God has made him a number of promises. And at first... It was sort of like, you know, there's that whole thing with Hagar and Sarah. And is this, is God really going to follow through? And then when he's 100, he has the baby with Sarah. And okay, the Lord makes promises and the Lord keeps promises. What else has he learned? Think about um, what we've been talking about with Ishmael. What has God done for Abraham's other son? Okay, he's blessed him as well. And I think that this is part of what I was trying to get you to see with Ishmael. If we automatically think, ooh, Ishmael, Islam, bad, then we miss out on what the Lord is doing for Abraham through his son Ishmael. So Ishmael gets kicked out of the camp because Sarah says, hey, he's Isaacing at Isaac. And there can only be one real Isaac. Let's make it. Let's make it clear. So Ishmael goes out into the wilderness with Hagar, and what happens to him in the dead land of the wilderness? He finds a well of living water. And do you think the report maybe, just maybe, came back to Abraham? Hey, your son Ishmael is living. He's, the Lord has preserved him. So Abraham has seen the Lord makes promises, the Lord keeps promises. He's also seen the Lord takes care of my sons, right? Ishmael is a, a really good test case of the Lord saving the life of the son of Abraham. Now, he's not the chosen son. He's not the beloved son. But he is sort of that he's the first son of Abraham. And the first things are always decent, but the second things are better. Okay? So he's been formed for this. He's been taught. He's been prepared for this test. It's not just straight into the fire. Do you see the point? So the test comes once he's been made ready for the test. This is good teaching. This is good pedagogy 101. If you want your students to succeed, you got to teach them. 
right? Uh, and the teachers who really want their kids to hit the numbers for the, those standardized tests, what do they do? We need Scott here to tell us. They teach to the test. And it really doesn't matter if you've learned, as long as you can get the, the right number on the test, then you can forget it all. Okay? Because then the teacher looks good. Um, remember, I was going to be a math teacher, so I learned all the secrets, all the insider information. I learned it. Anyways, so the test. What is the test? What's the surface level of the test? Sacrifice your son. And I'm glad you used the word sacrifice. It's not like Bob Dylan said. God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Right? There's a difference in the meaning between a sacrifice and just a killing. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. What is the fifth commandment? Is it you shall not kill? No. It's you shall not murder. Okay? There's a difference between killing and murder. Now, not always. <laughs> Sometimes killing is murder. It's like squares and rectangles. One of them is always the other, but the other is not always the one. Right? Um, so not every killing is forbidden. And not every killing is a sacrifice. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. Now, having said that, you might say, well, either way, my son is going to die. Right? The similarity between sacrifice and killing is, in either instance, I've got a dead Isaac. Okay? So Isaac is going to die, but the point is, God says, kill him in this certain way. And what's the difference between a sacrifice and just a homicide? What's the difference? There's a little more ceremony, maybe, for sacrifice. But what's the really crucial thing, regardless of the ceremonial aspect? What do you do when you sacrifice something? It's an offering. It's an offering, yes. There's, a, there's an indirect object. Offer your son, he's the direct object, to the Lord. He's the indirect object. So it's given to God. So what is the, how might we sort of gloss this? What's God saying to Abraham? Abraham, I've given you your son Isaac. Give him back. He's mine. And Abraham, now think of what sort of the internal, the test of faith here. What's the test for Abraham? One, am I going to actually do this? This is brutal, right? This, I love this boy. You notice he said, take your son. Well, which one? I've got two. <laughs> Ishmael or Isaac? Your only son. Well, he's my only son through Hagar. He's my only son through Sarah. Your beloved son. Well, I love them both. Right? It's not like Abraham hated Ishmael. Um, and then it says Isaac. So God is narrowing the field. And Abraham has to think to himself, is he, does he really belong to the Lord? Now, some of you have children, and some of you have grandchildren. And who do the grandchildren belong to? Jerry, I'm looking at you. Henry is yours, right? He, he might, you know, technically belong to your son, Reese and Sarah, but he's really Jerry and Carol's grandson, right? Um, and the same with the other one. You, that bond of love, there's nothing like the bond of love between a parent and a child, right? And especially, what is the special bond between Abraham and Isaac? It's not just that we have no mention of whether Isaac was cute 
or whether he was obedient, whether he was a good sleeper. These are the kind of things that parents talk about. Is he sleeping through the night? Is he sleeping through the night? That's what every baby, how's he sleeping for you? Is he eating good? How many diapers does he make every day, right? Um, This is the kind of conversation I have with all young parents, right? There's no mention of that in the Bible. What is the special focus on Isaac? Why is he so special? He's the son of promise. Okay? So Abraham is not only bound to Isaac by the love of a father for the son, but he's also bound to Isaac because Isaac is the carrier of the promise. I'll look beyond that, though. Okay. Sure. I mean, I'm thinking, if he's only done the reason, maybe not. Who only tells her? You know, unless God requires this to be memory, how do people look at Abraham now? Yeah. Well, it's in, uh, yeah, it, hey, Dad, remember that one time? <laughs> that was so much fun. You're, you're so funny, Dad. Uh, yeah, there's actually zero dialogue between Isaac and Abraham after this. This is the only dialogue between Abraham and Isaac. Now, it does say, and eventually we'll get to this, Isaac buries Abraham. So it's not, it wasn't an estranged relationship. But I'm sure, yeah, you're right. There's all these kind of details that are interesting. And the psychology of it all is, is really kind of fascinating. What would that dynamic be like? Okay? Um, but it's, the Bible's kind of silent on those things which we, we kind of wish that it would tell us. What, what were family reunions like? Did Isaac, did Abraham have to say sorry? Or did Isaac say, I understand, Dad. You have to listen to the Lord. Or what did Sarah to... say? Or, yeah, what did Sarah say? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Abraham comes, hey, dear, the boy and I are going to go up to Moriah. Why are you going to Moriah, Abraham? Oh, just... This is something only the men need to know about, right? What happens at Moriah stays at Moriah, right? Yes, right. And when you read this, um, right, this is when you read Genesis 22, hopefully you're hearing this and thinking, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's it's just um, Jesus is right behind the text here, right? Carrying the, the wood. What does that make you think of? He carried his own cross, right? Um, being bound, going, going willingly to the cross. That's why that little sort of seems like a tangent. How old was Isaac? It's actually helpful to think through. He seems to be willing to go along with it. He would, he would never ask me that. But notice in what verse is that, Phil? That's a great point. Verse 5. Listen again to what he says. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy... Uh, I lost my place. We'll go over there and worship and come to you again. What's the subject of that second, of the coming back? 
Who's going to come back? It's we. It's first person plural if we were going to parse these things out, which is always good to do. You've got you to gotta be a little bit. You don't have to be grammar Nazis, but you have to be, um, you have to be grammar Mussolini's. Okay? Um, you have to notice the grammar because there's something in there. There's a confession, isn't there? He's, now, some people would say he's just saying that so that Isaac goes with him. He's kind of leading him. Oh, I can't admit to Isaac what we're about to do. But there's a confession of faith there, isn't there? We will go. I'm going to offer him. And I, we, plural, are going to come back. How is that going to work out? Well, there's two possibilities. What are they? Either God's going to stop me, or well, he, I'll bring him back dead. Uh, but well, we'll yeah, it's a burnt offering, and we'll go through the burnt offering here in a minute. So he, he can't bring the body back. Either God is going to stop the sacrifice, or He's going to raise him from the dead. And if you go to Hebrews, go to Hebrews 11. You actually have not just, you know, what I think, but you have the authority of Scripture here. Hebrews 11. Verse 17. This is the passage you want to look at for a minute. Eleven seventeen says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, who's that? Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was, you read it for us, Phil. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive that. So what is Abraham? If we want to get into the mind of Abraham, we could have all kinds of conjectures, but what does Scripture say was in the mind of Abraham? Resurrection. Okay? I don't know how this is. I, don't, I might not be able to explain the logistics of it, but I know God has said, through Isaac shall all nations be blessed. I know that God has said, offer him to me as a burnt offering. And I'm going to trust that somehow, some way, God is able to make this all work. And the only way that he could make it work is if he raised him from the dead. And it says here, this is very interesting, it says he received him back from the dead, figuratively speaking. It was like, it was as, as if he were back from the dead. So the Akedah here is a story of death and resurrection. It's the sacrifice of Isaac, and figuratively speaking, it is the resurrection of Isaac. It is, this is above all, maybe above all the other Genesis stories. There might be some other ones that we could point to, maybe Passover uh, or something else, but I think this is maybe the richest picture, the richest Christological passage in the Old Testament. Which makes it really strange that it never gets mentioned except in Hebrews 11. If I was writing the Bible, I would just write a holy epistle about Genesis 22. Right? I know none of you have asked about this, 
I know this isn't a problem in the churches of Corinth, but I wanted to write this one anyways, right? Um, The epistles don't do that. Paul doesn't just write, you know, I was thinking the other day, he didn't have to write monthly epistle articles for his congregation. He had to write, you know, hey, you guys are really screwed up on this point, this point, and this point. Change this, do this, listen to this. So the, the epistles are always occasional and not just sort of random. I was thinking the other day, Genesis 22 is really all about Jesus. But it is. thing we'll, we'll come to in a minute. Um, and I'm sure Abraham, there must have been like this, this wonderful reprieve at the end of it all. Uh, but the reprieve is not just, this is why I went through this song and dance about he's dead and he's back. There, the resurrection, I was talking about this with the confirmation students. The disciples did not run through the whole world saying, hey, the good old days are back. The gospel is not Jesus is alive again, right? The gospel is Jesus is risen, and the resurrection means it's better than it was before, right? There, there's an advance. We, we talk about it this way dogmatically. He was in the state of humiliation. Now he is risen in exaltation, okay? So we should see the same thing with Isaac. There is an advance here for Isaac, and that's part of the... The promise that's given at the end, it's the same old, same old promise, but it's keyed up a notch, right? It's like you go from singing a cappella to now the organ is playing with you. Or it's like the organist, what's that stop, Kent, where you turn the whole organ on? I know it's, it's at the bottom, it's on the right-hand side. What's it called? Fort Sando. Fort Sando, yes. Fort Sando means pull out all the stops, Play the whole stinking thing. Blow us out, right? And that's the resurrection. The resurrection is not just Jesus back like he was before. The resurrection is Jesus Fortsando. <laughs> ah, I love this. And Isaac, there's an advance here for Isaac, which we'll, we'll come to, hopefully, in time. Um, now go back to Phil's point, okay? What's going through Abraham's mind? The test is, do you trust the Lord... To raise your son. Will you give Isaac completely to the Lord? And uh, one way to get at this is to compare this word burnt offering with where it comes up later, which is in the book of Leviticus. You don't have to turn there. But I just want you to see wherever this word burnt offering comes up, the very literal translation would be ascension. The Hebrew is olah. When something is an Olaf sacrifice, it's an ascension offering. So God tells, to Ab- tells Abraham, Make your, send your son up. Send him up here. Send him up to me. And here's the, here's the way the burnt offering goes in Leviticus. First of all, it has to be a son of the herd or a son of the flock or a son of the birds, I think. But in any case, it has to be a son The son belongs to God. He just gives it to you on loan. 
and you have to give your sons back. Okay? Now, this is, this is kind of helpful to think about. When we baptize our children, okay, we are giving them. They, they don't belong to you anymore. Your children are not yours. They are God's. He said, that one's, that's mine. That's my boy. Which means you don't, you don't have sole parental rights over your children anymore. God does. Now, God says, take care of them. <laughs> right? Um, God has said to Ben, all these boys, you've got to do a good job. They're mine, but I'm going to trust them to you. Okay? But baptism is like this. We are giving our children to God. We're saying, hey, this kid, I love him so much. He's not mine. He's yours. And I'll keep him, but he belongs to you. Okay? So the, the Ola, I just was thinking about that, so I wanted to mention that. But here's the other thing that you do. You would bring in the animal, um, and if you were an Israelite, you would bring, here, I don't know how well you can see this picture, that's the temple, and here's the altar at the temple. You were permitted, as an Israelite, to come to the gate. You couldn't go past the gate, but you could come to the gate. And your job was to lay your hand on the animal, and you had to lean into the animal, and then it was up to you, the Israelite, you were actually the one who killed the animal. The priest did not kill the animal. The Israelite killed the animal. Okay? So when you're offering your son of the herd, you have to be the one who takes the knife. And I'm sure the priests and the Levites were like, no, 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 don't, no, don't cut it there. Right here. They would show you just what to do, but it was your hand. It was under your own hand. Okay? And then the blood, the priests take the blood. Okay? So you kill the animal, the priests take the blood to the altar, and they would pour the blood on the sides of the altar. Then the rest of the, the pieces, the pieces and the head and the fat of the animal goes onto the altar. And the guts of the animal and its legs get washed off from that big bath we were talking about last week, that big portable well. The water comes down out of the well, washes off all that nasty stuff, and now it's ready to go onto the altar. But the emphasis with the burnt offering is all of it, not just part of it, all of it. The other offerings, like the peace offerings, the thanksgiving offerings, those ones, you would get something back. So you bring your animal, you kill your animal, the priests take the blood, they take a part of the animal up to the altar, and then they say, the rest is yours. Take it home and have a holy feast. Or eat it in the temple. There were rules about where you were supposed to eat these things. But the burnt offering is the whole kitten caboodle. Everything. It all goes up in smoke. It all ascends. Okay? So another thing that we could think of here is, this is the ascension of Isaac. Isaac is going to ascend to the Lord. Now, why does he have to ascend through being burnt up? Why can't he ascend in some other way? Smoke, okay, smoke conveys this picture. You're leaving this world, and the smoke, think of how it it disappears. It also goes up, right? Um, And what's left? Well, presumably, the whole thing gets burned up. So everything that's on that altar is going to disappear. It all goes up into heaven. That's the picture, the ceremony of the thing. Now, Abraham didn't have all of this legal commandment 
But what he does have is God's command, cause your son to ascend. Offer him as this particular kind of offering, this burnt offering. Give him completely to me. Now, what else has happened in Isaac's life that was kind of like God claiming Isaac? When Isaac was eight days old, how did God claim him? Circumcision, right? The offering of Isaac, again, this is part of how God is teaching Abraham. This offering is it's like the complete circumcision of Isaac. The whole thing. Right? But the test is, does he really believe it? Do you really trust that if you give me your son, it's going to be for good and not for ill? Do you really trust that the Lord can bring his blessing even through death? And the answer with Abraham is, yes, he doesn't. And the answer even with Isaac is, yes, he willingly goes. He, he offers himself. So now, uh, if we keep reading along here, let me, let me pause before I just kind of roll, roll through, through things. Is there any questions so far? We're going to look at what the, um, what the consequence of this offering is. But any questions so far? With Abraham offering his son by faith, the test comes not right away, but once he's been prepared for it. Okay, we're all good. We understand it all. Very good. Um, oh, I wanted to mention one more thing. The place. Where is the land of Moriah? Where is this mountain? It's not on the map. So where is it? Good. It's where the temple is going to be built, which is? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Mount Moriah, as it's called here, is also referred to in the Bible as <clears throat> Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It's where Solomon's temple will be built. So every time the Israelites go to the temple, where are they going? Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. Every time they bring a son of the herd, who are they bringing? They're bringing their little Isaacs. And every time they're offering these animals on the altar, they're doing it in, if they're following in Abraham's footsteps, it's possible, and the prophets blast them for this, it's possible to do it in an empty way, right? But faithfully, they're following in the footsteps of Abraham, their father, they're offering their sons up to the Lord, trusting that he will bring them through death to resurrection. That's, that's always in the background on in the temple sacrifices. Okay. And uh, the temple, just so we're all clear, it, it's Salem. Right here. This is where Mount Moriah uh, is. Two, you've been there recently. What's on Mount Moriah now? You didn't go to Jerusalem? If you go to Jer oh, you did? If you go to Jerusalem today, what will you see on top of the mountain? It's not, a, it's not like a big peak. It's a it's a big mosque. It's called the Dome of the Rock. And I believe it's where the Muslims claim that Muhammad ascended from. Is that right? Any Muslims in the room? Any, of, any who study Muslim, Islam? No? I th I'm pretty sure it's where uh, they believe that Muhammad ascended from this rock, which is where Isaac would have been sacrificed. Okay. Let's look at this, this substitute. So go to verse... Verse 11. Abraham is in the act. 
The knife is raised, about to be plunged down into his son, who's bound on the altar. And all of a sudden, who shows up? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. And we're going to see some very interesting things about him. I think you've heard me go through this before, but a little repetition is always good. What does he say? Let's read what he says. Verse 11. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What's strange about this speech? The angel speaks as if he is God. He is speaking in the person of God. So, what do we make of that? Well, what do you say? Is he, an, is he a regular angel, or is he something more than an angel? Angel could also be translated messenger. The messenger of the Lord. Okay? But that doesn't really quite help us here because he sounds like, he's, like he is the Lord. How can the Lord be his own messenger? How can God be both the one who sends and the one who is sent? The answer is the Trinity, right? The Father sends the Son. So some of you said Jesus, uh, which is right. This is Jesus interrupts the sacrifice. It's the Son of God. Before he's born of the Virgin Mary, he's eternal, of one substance with the Father. All that stuff we say in the, the Nicene Creed every week. Bring it on in here when you read the Bible. Okay, so the Son interrupts the sacrifice and says, Now I know that you have not withheld your Son from me. I know that you fear God, the Father, and you don't withhold your Son from me, the Son. Okay? So, what does the Son show him? Look at verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Now, what in the world is a ram? I don't live on a farm. I've lived my whole life in suburbia. What is a ram? It's a male sheep. It's not a son of the herd. It's a son of the flock. Okay? So the ram, or we could say the lamb, the lamb-ram, is caught in a thicket. Caught in a thicket by his horns. Now again, I'm not a farmer. Where are the horns on the animal? Head. Okay? So can you picture this? He's got his head. It's a son who's got his head caught in a in the thicket. What's a thicket? Corn bush or something, right? Some thorny place. Bristles and brambles and uh, all that kind of stuff. Where do thorns come from? Where do thorns and thistles? Why did God put thorns and thistles in the world? It's part of the curse, isn't it? Cursed is the land because of you. No longer shall you eat freely, but you will eat by the sweat of your brow. And the land will yield thorns and thistles to you. So here we go. We've got a ram with his head among the cursed stuff. The thorns and the thistles. And uh, here's what Abraham says. Abraham went and took this ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
Now, that word instead is a great little word. Instead, a lot of good theology has to do with prepositions. Instead. Have you ever heard anybody use this expression, in the stead? What's the difference between instead of and in the stead of? If I stood in front of the congregation and I said, I forgive you all of your sins instead of God, what would you think? You'd say, well, thanks, Pastor, but I don't really care if you forgive me, right? What matters is if God forgives. Now, if I say in the stead and by the command of God, that's different, isn't it? If you're in someone's stead, you're doing it on their behalf. If you're doing it instead of someone, they're not really involved anymore, right? So Abraham offers this ram in the stead. Now, it's both. He's in Isaac's place instead of Isaac, right? But it's in place of, in the place of. Good old, we used the word before, substitutionary. This ram is the substitute. God provides a substitutionary son in the place of Isaac. Okay? And listen to what he says here. Really great stuff. Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Which is what Abraham told Isaac, didn't he? If you look back up at verse... Eight, God will provide. This, that repetition of the word, provide, 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 should be like, you know, if you're a person who likes to underline your Bible, you circle all those word provides there, and you draw little dotted lines there. Abraham believed that God would provide. Now God provides. And so it is said, even to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Okay. Now, there's a great little uh, alternate translation there. Some of you have these, these kind of neat Bibles that will give you little footnotes. Who has a footnote there? What's the other way we could translate, it shall be provided? Does anybody have a note on that? It says, we'll see. We'll see. The verb for provide is also to see. So it's like we say, hey, um, will you see to it? That the, you know, that the coffee gets made on Sunday morning. Who's going to see to that? Okay. Who's going to provide it? You see the connection there? But if you, if you put that translation in, you get this. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will see or will be seen. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be seen or he will be seen. Right? Now, check out, check this out. John 8. Some people don't believe the Bible, that the Holy Spirit is as good as he is. But he is. Go to John 8. This is Jesus in a hot disputation with his enemies. And I mean hot. This is where he calls them sons of the devil. Look down chapter 8. Uh, verse, look at verse 48. Okay, the Jews answered Jesus. This is John 8, verse 48. Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? 
But Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you are dishonoring me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. When did Abraham see the day of Jesus? On the mountain of the Lord, it shall be seen. On the mountain of the Lord, he shall be seen. Abraham sees the substitutionary ram caught in the thicket. And here you can let your mind, I mean, you can draw all the parallels, all the connections, Jesus, the crown of thorns, all that stuff is in play here. But he's seeing the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And that vision was not just for Abraham, right? But they probably actually did talk about this. If they ever had family reunions, there's really nothing else to talk about. How's your son doing? Well, I like Esau a lot, but, you know, apparently Jacob, he's the good boy, right? Um, remember that time you almost sacrificed me, Dad? Yeah, how could I forget? The Lord provides. The Lord provides the sacrifice. The Lord provides the substitute, right? And he's going to provide the final, the ultimate substitute, okay? Now, we didn't really get to the promises. We will pick up there next week. My clock says we're running short on time. So next week, we'll do the rest of chapter 22. We'll look at this resurrection, figuratively speaking, of Isaac. What does his resurrection look like? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided for us uh, the sacrifice, and that now, through your Son, Jesus Christ, we all are uh, brought up to you, we ascend to you wholly, and completely. We pray uh, that you would bless us, dear Father, with true faith like Abraham. We pray that you would give us obedience like our father Abraham. Um, and we pray that we would see the day of your son, Jesus Christ. Um, every time we come to the church, every time we hear his word, we would rejoice um, that he is our substitute. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.